podcast for those who suffer, which is everyone. It's a space where we can speak honestly about what it feels like to be in desolate places without losing hope. Welcome to In the Thicket. We are beyond excited to share this week's episode with you. We were joined by Father Christino Bouvet, who is the National Liturgical Coordinator for Pope Francis's visit to Canada. He is both Indigenous and Catholic, and he in fact is a Catholic priest, and he shares about his family's heritage, uh, both Indigenous and Christian. He shares about his beautiful relationship with his kokum, with his grandmother, and he shares about how he's seen truth and reconciliation uh, lived and experienced in his family, in himself, and also as he walked with the Pope in this pilgrimage across Canada. It's a moving and very important episode, so we invite you to share it with people. We also invite you to take up Father Christino's challenge at the end to get involved, to learn more about the experiences and lives of Indigenous people, to attend powwows or other events, to go to museums or other things that will help you to learn more and to be engaged in the work of truth and reconciliation in Canada. We hope this episode is helpful for you, and we, as always, would love to hear your feedback. God bless. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hey, hey everybody. <laughs> welcome, welcome. How are you all? Good. Should right, we do shiny quick... faces. Yeah, I know everybody looks happy and smiling. So, if you are um, if you are watching on YouTube, you will notice that there is a fourth Zoom box today, and it's because we have a guest with us, and it is Father Christino Bouvet. So, if you can't see him, you can just picture in your head. A uh, smiling, priestly, fatherly, good face with glasses <laughs> and earphones and short, dark hair and an office background. <laughs> Very good description. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How are you, Father? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you virtually. Yes, that's right. It's yeah. good. Maybe there will be a time because I hear they've been building this kind of tube shuttle between Toronto and Ottawa so it's going to be like a like a high-tech future thing where you just like get into it and they shoot you from one place to the other with high pressured air and it only takes Wait, like is this for real half an hour like legit for real it takes half an hour yes no. I know. Are you in you... some kind of vehicle, or is it like, yeah. it's like the Jetsons, where you just get... what? strap on a jetpack and go to the tunnel? I think no. it's like a vehicle. Like you Do get you... into a thing, and then it like legit. But I'm I'm telling you, like look it up. Whoever okay. looks, like listen Google it. for yes. our American and and other country listeners, uh, yes. which who we love, we love all of you. Just for context, it takes about five hours to drive from four and a half of your errand. Four and, a half. four and a half of your errand from Toronto to Ottawa. So a half an hour is like, do they liquefy you on the way? How yeah. do you, how does well, this- you're liquefied upon arrival. I think. That's right. I think that might be a, yeah. I mean, oh boy. the reason bringing that up is that father, maybe we could come and visit you. Cause you're, it, you're like prairies, like in Calgary. Right. So, right. Uh, so I mean, maybe if you know, in the future for future episodes down the line, um, we can do You'll a be 10 here year in two update. hours. That's yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe even like one and a half by the time it gets to that point in technology. Anyways, that is the weirdest start to an episode that I think we may have had yet, although that's a hard, high bar to beat. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Father, for those who haven't heard from you before? Sure. Well, thank you for inviting me to be with you. Uh, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Calgary. 
I have been ordained for a little over 10 years. I had my 10th anniversary back in June of this year. Congratulations. So thank you. Yeah, that was a very special day for me. Actually, I was very overwhelmed at that time working on the papal visit to Canada. Mm. And so I managed to have a day to drive down. I had mass in the cathedral with my community uh, that I lead, the St. Francis Xavier Chaplaincy for young adults. Uh, and then we had a little party after, and I turned around and drove back to Edmonton. <laughs> oh, man. There's no, uh, there's no nice. tube yet, so yeah, right. it was not liquefied uh, yes. half an hour to arrive there. But Excellent, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, that uh, I, I conduct this thing called the St. Francis Xavier Chaplaincy, mm-hmm. uh, where we're trying to provide a centralized off-campus hub for young adult apostolate. So I am present on the university campuses of the U of C, Mount Royal, SAIT, which is our technical institute, the mm. Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, and then our Catholic University, St. Mary's. Uh, so I visit those four campuses each week. And then the rest of the time I spend working from here at our cathedral. And so every Sunday afternoon we gather for mass and we have formational activities. Uh, we have a men's house and a women's house that mm. I alternate mm. between visiting each week. So. Mm. It's uh, really a beautiful apostolate that I have right now. I'm I'm extremely blessed by this ministry. And um, yeah, I was born and raised 300 kilometers southeast of here in a little place called Medicine Hat. Nice. Oh, yes. And so that's home for me. And I studied in London, Ontario. I did okay. all, my whole seminary uh, there in London. So cool. eight years at St. Peter's mm-hmm. under the rector, Father William McGratton, who has now become... Oh, my bishop. Yes, that's so, fun. Uh, I always tell the seminarians, be nice to your rector because <laughs> yeah, you never, you never know. escape him. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Hey, did they have a, because now they have like a hockey slash bo- basketball, like there's some inter-seminary. Oh, like rivalry right Right, yeah rivalry is an interesting description (laughs) it is a rivalry between saint augustine's in toronto and saint peter's in london for a hockey game once a year yes that's right right. okay because we actually stand a chance of (laughs) those guys Uh, our basketball team on the other hand playing sacred heart in detroit oh Mm -hmm. shoot I don't know why we ever bothered. We just get right to the pizza. We just saved ourselves a lot of a, a lot of wounded pride right. and wounded bodies. If we yes, Father, our place. We might have been in London at the same time because I went to Western from 2006 to 2013. Was absolutely was yeah. I was yeah. in. Uh, oh. I was at Western from 2004 to 2012. Yeah, we definitely. I was like, you look so familiar to me. So this is. I probably saw you because I was involved in Newman Society over yeah. there, like all the okay. time. Did you ever I mean, come to Mass at King's? I did not yeah. like all the time, but I did often enough. Where I'm, I'm sure that I saw you. Yeah. So, so I was going to say, yes. either it's that or the million times that you've seen Father's face in the media in the yeah, last maybe. year. That <laughs> maybe also that's might like be might yes. be the thing too, which is good. I mean, I would love to hear Father. Okay, so for those who don't know, um, again, if you're watching on YouTube now, you might recognize Father's face or might recognize his name because Father was in charge of the liturgical preparations for the for the papal visit and and a bunch of stuff around liturgy, right? So maybe you can tell us a little bit about. Um, We'll come back to that experience of what happened during the papal visit, but maybe you can just tell us about how you kind of came into that position and a little bit about your your background being Indigenous and Catholic and what that was like. Right. So I, I alluded to Medicine Hat, which is 
where my parents met, uh, which was the mm. strangest place for the two of them to meet. My mother is the daughter of Italian immigrants to Canada. Mm. So my nonna and nonno came here in 1958 and 1960. Mm. And after they were reunited, soon after, within about a year or so, my mother was born. Uh, and so they moved to Medicine Hat from Calgary when she was a little girl, and they stayed there after my grandfather worked there. Mm. My dad had a farming background. So he was raised on the family farm northwest of Calgary. And my grandfather is Métis. And my grandmother uh, is Cree and English. Her mother mm -hmm. uh, came to Canada through the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they were British. But her father was Cree and Ojibwe. Uh, okay. which are two different uh, of the First Nations here in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she, at the age of six, went to one of these now infamous residential schools where mm -hmm. she uh, left her family, had to leave her family behind, uh, and was there for 12 years of her education. Mm -hmm. And so after finishing the, uh, her time in that school, she soon after met the man who had become her husband and my grandfather. They married. In 1939, mm. uh, when they were 20 and 21, my grandmother, my kokum, as we say in Cree, was mm. 20 years old. And they had a, a son. And then my grandfather was deployed overseas in the Second World War uh, for mm. four years. And six weeks after he left, she realized that she was expecting their second child. Wow. Uh. And so she gave birth while he was overseas and their daughter was almost, well, was over four years old when she met her father for the first time. Oh, who wow. Miraculously came home, which was a blessing Praise for me. God. I like existing. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so when he came back, my grandmother, apparently, maybe even unbeknownst to him, says that she had made a, a covenant with God mm. that if he brought her husband home safely, she would have 12 more children. <laughs> oh, That's amazing. And, and God, oh, she man. did because my dad is number 14. Wow. wow. That is a crazy story. Oh my gosh. That's something. That's, That's crazy. crazy. I love that. 12 so, more oh. too. That's the other thing. She wasn't just like, I'll have 12 children. Exactly. <laughs> She's like, yeah. 12 more. That's 12 amazing. More. That's She's intense. That's great. That is so Wow. She, that tells you something about her faith, which yeah. is, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that a bit more, but yeah. she was a, a very faithful woman and not because it had been imposed upon her in the residential school. Mm. Uh, we came from three generations of Indigenous Christians, mm. uh, proud Indigenous people who happily lived their life as an Indigenous person would, mm. but who also were Christians. Uh, wow. And there was no contradiction for them. Uh, my great, great, great grandfather, who actually, speaking of London, uh, was ordained in the Methodist Church in London, Ontario, uh, in 1855, is thought to have been potentially the first Aboriginal person to have been ordained in a Christian denomination in this country. Wow. Which is even before Confederation. Wow. And yeah, so, so cool. he became a missionary and mm. came out west where he encountered the Cree people. He was fully Ojibwe from around Lake Simcoe in mm. southwestern Ontario. Mm -hmm. And uh, after coming out here, he met his wife and they raised a family. 
and one of his sons uh, was my uh, great grandfather. Okay. Wow. wow. Oh my that's God. really beautiful. So huh. yeah, that's where our Christian roots really came from on my father's side and my mother's mm-hmm. Italian side is no right. question about uh, their roots. <laughs> okay. I got to yeah. ask, cause I have Italian roots too. Where in Italy? Southeast of Rome. So okay. the province of Campo Paso in okay. the Molise region. Very cool. Okay. Where my, my grandparents is for my grandfather's from the Calabria in the lower. Ah, Calabria. I yeah. think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You're down. Yeah. By the heel. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah a little there bit up. we're a little bit. Yeah, up. that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, oh, sorry. That's Total fun. That's, that's so crazy though. Yeah. Like so many different, it just always is, is like astounding to me how we come into being like that. Right. This yeah. precise formulation of people needs to happen and come together and meet and like all of these things for us to to come into existence you know 14th child that's a 14th child yeah Yeah. that's that's yeah well it it never came clearer to me how and why all of this would come to pass for the sake of my Mm. little old being uh, until Mm. uh, the bishops of canada were looking for uh, one of their priests of Indigenous heritage, mm-hmm. preferably someone whose relatives had been in the residential school system, mm. who also spoke Italian. Right. That's a very specific <laughs> oh, set. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So somehow in the Rolodex, <laughs> my name was the only one that was there. Yeah. And so that was uh, in February. On February 1st yeah. of this wow. year, Bishop McGratton called me for an emergency meeting to inform me that I was being asked by Archbishop Smith, who was the general mm-hmm. coordinator for the bishop, uh, for the bishops, uh, for the Pope's visit to Canada. Yeah. If I could please serve as the national liturgical coordinator. So that's amazing. Needed someone to communicate with the Vatican in Italian yeah. and who understands yeah. liturgical considerations, but who they were mm-hmm. concerned was also going to, uh, as, as faithfully as possible, yeah. represent the interests of Indigenous people and making mm-hmm. sure that the Vatican understood what we needed to accomplish with the Holy Father's visit and Mm -hmm. what would be valuable and how that needed to be reflected in the different ceremonies and gatherings and liturgies. And so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It almost brings pressure. Seriously. Oh my goodness. No pressure. Wow. But it, al- it almost brings it. me to tears of just kind of like what we're saying of um, like for such a time of this as this, right. To be, to realize, oh my, you know, what a, what a specific, like you say, specific kind of heritage and set of skills um, to mm-hmm. be in this role. Uh, how, how beautiful is that? Like, yeah. How, yeah. yeah, it's very beautiful. I'm interested to hear father, like for you, cause you mentioned your Kokum and it sounds like, um, she sounds like one of those people when you talk about her, like I would love to <laughs> met her in person, you know, like, but I would be, I'd love to hear like some of that, like what she shared with you about her experience um, or, or yeah, even, even just in, in terms of your family's experience of that Christian heritage, but also that indigenous heritage and what that kind of meant for you. And, and you're kind of telling her about uh, your discernment to become a priest. Mm-hmm. Well, I love telling this story. This is one of my favorite stories that I think so perfectly summarizes who was mm-hmm. my Kokum. She was sitting, standing at the sink in the kitchen in the little three-bedroom farmhouse in which they raised 14 children uh, and was probably scrubbing potatoes. That's, that's what she did at the, the sink there. 
And my dad said that he and some of his older brothers were playing in the living room. And they just noticed that mom was there doing her thing. And then the next thing they know, she was gone. And then they heard a gunshot. <laughs> and they went running out to the porch. And Kokum had just shot a deer. And she oh, saw gosh. through the kitchen window. Oh, my gosh. Uh, in one shot, laying on the ground. And she said, boys, clean up that deer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. So then epic. she went back into her role in the kitchen, whatever it was she was Grump doing. Potatoes. Oh, man. Her potatoes. Yeah. So oh, my she gosh. grabbed That's grandpa's so cool. rifle off of the cabinet and went and dropped that deer and uh, came back in to do her work. That's <laughs> amazing. You know, we, amazing. Our, our episode last week was on, on femininity and what it means to be, a, you know, a woman and a, a woman of faith and Catholic. And I'm just like, oh, the feminine genius right here who can like fill these different roles in an instant and being like, okay, here, we're going to kill the deer. There's food. All right. Now boy, just do like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's wonderful. I love you know, it. Yeah. She, I asked her once if she had any uh, systems or, or how did she manage her household with mm. so many? Yeah. People? yeah. She said, well, of course I had a system, uh, but it all centered around baking bread that mm-hmm. she planned everything in a week around her schedule for bread making. Wow. I said, what was a, a, a loaf or what was a, a, a batch of bread? Oh. She said, I would make 22 loaves of bread <laughs> on Wednesday and 22 loaves of bread on Saturday. Wow. And if on huh? Sunday night we were out of bread because they fed everybody on Saturday. Yeah. Right. Their, their neighbors, their farm workers. Wow. Their, she said, I'd make buns to have with supper. Huh. Wow. So she said, once I had the bread schedule worked out, everything else had to fit in around the bread. And Mm. I thought, that's such a beautiful image in a way, you know, we, the, the word Bethlehem, the house of bread, right? Mm. She really instilled uh, without even, I think, necessarily meaning to Mm. uh, a very Christocentric life in the home. Uh, because although she had never become a Catholic herself, I often thought she was a, a more strong Catholic than many Catholics I know. But <laughs> mm. she was a very faithful Christian woman. Mm. And Christ was the center of her life and the center of her home. Mm. And she instilled that in, in me. And in, mm. in she tried to instill that in all of us. But mm-hmm. I know for me personally, I grew up under the influence of two incredibly different grandmothers mm-hmm. this uneducated italian peasant grandmother who just taught me to love my catholic faith mm-hmm. who taught me the rosary who taught me devotion to the saints and albeit with a lot of struggle a very a very well educated other grandmother mm. through the residential school system uh, granted but she she was incredibly intelligent and insightful and well-versed at many things who taught me to study and love the word of God. Mm-hmm. And we always say in our Catholic faith that these pillars of, of scripture and tradition really nourish and, and sustain us as Catholics and that I would have been taught on the school of their two laps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was such an incredible blessing in my life. And my Kokum. Uh, she could not have been more supportive 
of my mm. vocation to the priesthood. It was a no-brainer from my nonna, of course. <laughs> <laughs> she must have been like <laughs> jumping for joy. <laughs> it was for her just an unimaginable blessing wow. that her grandson, her eldest grandson, was going to become a priest. Mm-hmm. But for my kokum, I was legitimately concerned, especially a couple years into seminary. I never thought to ask her. I just assumed she'd be happy. And she was. She said mm-hmm. nothing about having any apprehensions when I announced that I was going to the seminary. But then after I really began to see the distinct connection between the Catholic Church in Canada and the residential school system, mm. I wondered how she felt about it. And, mm-hmm. and so on a visit to the farm, I, I did bring it up with her. And just simply, I was scared. I didn't know how she'd react. But I said, how does it make you feel? Is, uh, do you have any concerns or objections to your grandson uh, potentially becoming a priest in the institution that really, in many respects, advanced this? And she she looked pained. Mm. And she closed her eyes. And then she just dropped her potato peeler. Typical. We always had <laughs> doing something with potatoes. She just reached across and grabbed my hand. And she said, oh, my boy, I have known many good nuns and priests, Mm -hmm. and I know you would be one of those. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that was like, almost like receiving a mandate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Go, go be a priest, but be a good one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously I can fall short in many ways. And I know I do, but uh, I never fall far from hearing her ask that of me. Mm. Uh, and so this year in particular, on numerous occasions, uh, not yeah. the least of which was walking right beside Pope Francis, <laughs> carrying this very heavy bowl of water for him <laughs> to bless the people at Lac-Saint-Anne. Right. I just couldn't help but wonder what would be going through her mind if she was still living mm. to see this moment. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, it brought me a lot of comfort and yeah, a lot of gratitude. Yeah. Grandmothers are so amazing. Even when you're speaking, I'm like thinking from my own vocation. My grandmother was like the matriarch of everything, you know, like yes. she held the family together. She prayed for the family. She, when she died, she was in her bed. She couldn't even speak still. And my aunt went into the room and said, like, it feels like somebody's here with us. And it was just the two of them in there. And my grandmother raised her hand that had her rosary in it. And she just went like this, like our lady was there. She had such a devotion to our lady, you know? Um, but it's but it's amazing. And I felt personally like my own vocation was kind of given to me which I came into after she died, that there was something of this mission for the family, like for the, Mm. for the care of the family that came through that. But it's just beautiful to hear you speak about um, like the heritage of these things and the, and the links. And for me, I don't know about you ladies, but for, in terms of um, like some of the things that have happened that we've been talking about in Canada for, for years now, you know, like I used to live in, Fort Quapal, Saskatchewan, when mm-hmm. I was little, and there was a residential school in La Brette, and like, and I had no idea. I had no idea that residential schools were even a thing in Canada, that they existed, what happened, anything like that until I was like after university, like probably like 10 years ago or something like that was the first mm-hmm. time I even knew that that they existed. And and it was like hearing hearing stories from like listening to some of the people who went to the schools and experienced some of the some of the abuses that went on or 
things like that was just like, it's been like, for me, I found it, it, it's been painful because, because there were people who were called to love and were called to be that presence of the Lord to, to other people, like to love like Christ and who did the opposite, you know, who, who harmed people grievously. And, and that's even what it makes me think of what I'm kind of coming back to in terms of ancestry is that, is that listening to like listening more to indigenous voices or some of the dialogue that's happened has made me more aware of the, like the beautiful link between generations in indigenous cultures and like how important that, that is. Um, and how and why it's been so um why it can be so challenging is because some of that trauma goes through generations right and kind of and kind of flows out like that um but i'm wondering father if maybe you can share with us some of the some of the stories even or some of the things that you saw in um in even in in your time of priestly ministry but then also with the with the papal visit of because i think it's one thing we can talk about the pain but i think we also have to talk about hope and healing and all of those things together with it right or mm-hmm. or we just get stuck in this place of despair which is not of of the lord you know yeah totally well even the way that we tried to structure the entire papal visit mm-hmm. we followed what we called a, a thematic arc uh, that was modeled after uh, actually the contribution of uh, President Cassidy Karen of the Métis National Council, who in her audience with Pope Francis back in March, mm. when the Indigenous delegation of elders went to Rome um, and, and different and Indigenous leadership, she said to him that what was needed was truth, mm. justice, healing, and reconciliation. And apparently he even, in the middle of that, he stopped her while she was giving her discourse. And he repeated in English those four words, truth, justice, healing, and reconciliation. It was almost like that resonated with him, this this Mm, understanding of this process. Hmm. So after hearing about that, I, I tried to see how could we design the program that week to sort of flow through that, hmm. but then to be so bold as to add a, a fifth mm. consideration that we called hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly believe for those who were open to seeing it in goodwill from that perspective, that that was what was modeled, uh, was mm. an absolutely unquestionable confrontation of the truth mm. of, of what did historically unfold Mm. of an appeal for justice, uh, not only on the part of the church, but to Mm -hmm. say how as a society in justice, do we need to respond to this legacy? Uh, And then healing. uh, I mean, there's nothing more healing than the celebration of the Eucharist Mm. uh, for us as Catholics, at least. And yet the Pope was in Canada for two full days before he celebrated the Eucharist in public. Mm. Uh, and, and that in itself was a message that we were trying to convey. You know, he mm. hasn't just come like the typical papal visit. Pope shows right. up, says mass for a million people, uh, and everybody just treats it like some big festival. 
Mm. It was not until his his third full day here, uh, and I thought even that, that on the third day, you know, mm-hmm. he celebrated mm-hmm. the Eucharist, uh, and then went on pilgrimage. He participated in this in the traditional pilgrimage of our Indigenous peoples to Lac mm-hmm. Saint Anne, uh, northwest of Edmonton. Uh, to go himself to those healing waters that for generations have been considered uh, a a special place blessed by God himself to be a a place of healing and renewal that indigenous people have journeyed to Mm. for, as I said, for generations. And now uh, the Pope was not there to preside over some special event. He said he was there as a pilgrim. Mm. Uh, And and I think this is an interesting Thing because of course I had to have absolutely every detail of these things worked out well in advance and approved yeah. by the Vatican. Right. So I had given extremely clear indications as to why it was essential that this program be conducted from the Pope Mobile. Okay. Um, why and how and how this needed to go. And <laughs> Pope Francis showed up and basically said, No, I'm staying in my wheelchair. Yeah. And I think he was trying to say, No, I'm a pilgrim. I've right. come here as a pilgrim. Yeah. Everyone else had to walk into this spot and he can't walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, it's actually very sad to see how, how crippled how pain, he truly yeah. is wow. when you're with him up close and behind, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling as it were. Mm. Uh, and so he did what the next best thing was that he could do mm. uh, because he came to be part of that pilgrimage with these people. Mm-hmm. That day, that Tuesday was, uh, I don't know how much more we could have glimpsed at what healing can look like. Mm. Uh, And then to travel across the country to Quebec, where again, we have historical tensions and divisions. Of course, uh, yeah. uh, Among non-Indigenous Canadians. Yeah, right. And and celebrate the Mass of Reconciliation. Mm. And in this beautiful basilica, dedicated to the grandmother of Jesus, which Mm. is itself, again, a place of pilgrimage for Indigenous people, Mm. that he would call us there to reconciliation as as one country, as one people that Mm. share this land now, Mm -hmm. uh, and then go to the north Mm. to leave from Iqaluit Mm. back to Rome and, and leave us with a message of hope of hope for our future yeah. you know, the whole the trip itself tried to demonstrate what what we could have mm-hmm. if we have open hearts uh, and and open minds to continuing to walk together as mm-hmm. we kept saying during those days and so that's our prayer that that will mm-hmm. that that will be a future for us that we can all share together mm-hmm. yeah Father, your your Kokum, she sounds like somebody who kind of did this, like in a way, like, you know, she lived Mm. this trial. um, And I don't know in terms of justice, if she ever experienced anything sort of addressing that in her life. Um, But, you know, it sounds like she sort of came to a place of, of healing and hope where she was able to love, where she was able to give of herself so beautifully to her family. Um, and even to the point of entrusting to you, this mission of a good priesthood, you know, um, which is like kind of unbelievable in a certain sense. If you think about sort of, you know, her story 
really could like could have been like the way that she could have the attitudes she might have had in a, in a certain sense understandably so towards the priesthood um so there's kind of this deep generosity of, of a of a of her heart that she was able to desire for you this this good priesthood so i'm just kind of curious did she ever talk to you about that like process or her own kind of journey with god kind of working through what what her life experience had been and then you know, um, and sort of a kind of reconciliation within herself of, of things like what, what would be, what did you kind of know of her in that regard? Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. And it's so true. She lived reconciliation. Mm. She was the embodiment of it. Uh, she had reconciled many things within herself. Mm. Mm. Uh, and as a devout reader of sacred scripture, she spent countless hours in the in the New Testament in particular. And mm -hmm. I can only imagine what it was like for her to pray through that passage of St. Paul describing Christ reconciling in himself all mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. that, that he came with a mission of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I believe she came to see that she could not call herself his disciple if she did not seek to also live and embrace such a mission herself. She also knew how to suffer. <laughs> she, was, she was born in 1919 mm. at the tail end of the First World right. War. Yeah. By the age of six, <clears throat> was away from her family in the residential school during which time they lived through the Great Depression. Mm, right. She married at the end of the dirty 30s, and Second World War broke out, and her husband was gone for four years. Yeah. He comes back from war a very different man, right. a very broken and, and difficult man, now struggling with alcoholism and the trauma of war. Mm. And raises 14 children with yeah. basic poverty. And I think in a way, she didn't stop to reflect on her hard life. Mm -hmm. Because it was just the life she had. Right. And she somehow managed to find the strength to be grateful for it. And so I... I just think about all of the different uh, things that she used to quote from scripture uh, from memory. You know, mm -hmm. it was nothing for her when, when in prayer, especially when she'd get bad news, <laughs> we would say, maybe we should pray and we'd all start praying together. And then she'd just lean back and close her eyes. But when she'd open her eyes, she'd start to recite fully Psalm 121. <laughs> I lift my eyes unto the hills. From where shall come my help? My help shall come from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And she mm. would just recite the Psalms, you know, mm. as, as our Lord himself must yeah. have also. Yeah. That is, as I said, the embodiment of someone who has reconciled these, these wounds yeah. uh, in herself. Mm -hmm. 
That's so beautiful. She's so inspiring. I know. <laughs> so inspiring. I can, I'm like, I can hardly oh, wait yeah. to get to heaven and meet her. When I know. <laughs> I know. I miss her so much. Yeah. Oh, oh, it makes me think too, like, um, because something that doesn't necessarily get a lot of coverage, I think, is the individuality of particular experiences, because not there were some experiences of horrendous abuse in schools. There were some experiences of, I mean, even even within the context, we can say that colonialism itself or the residential school system itself was, you know, designed to take the Indian out of the child or these kind of things. But the individual experiences were so varied Um and like you say, like the education that your grandmother got, for example, that she was grateful for. Um, but I would imagine too, the because because of that varying um, degree of experience of generational trauma, of actual experience, all of those kind of things that that the gamut of experience that people must have had during the visit with all of these things Hmm. would run the, which is why it's so hard. You can't capture that in like a five minute interview. And I just, I remember um, sitting, I was in Toronto at the time and the, the hotel that I was staying at didn't have their internet working. So I went and sat in the parking lot of a Cora's restaurant (laughs) with my computer and no, with my phone and sat and watched the, um, the apology where the Pope gave the apology. And I, I looked like a crazy person sitting in this car, just like weeping. My whole face goes like super red when I cry. So, and, but just seeing the faces of people, um, like of some of, and the clapping that happened at various points. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was one of the most moving things I think that I, that I've ever witnessed. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear like what in your, cause you were up close and personal, you know, in that experience, like, um, maybe both of what the Lord, like what that was like in your own heart to see that. And then what you kind of, what, what you saw in, in the people around you. Yeah, I was, I was sitting at Musquachis. I was the sitting on the other side of the papal stage mm-hmm. uh, with the papal entourage. Uh, not uh, where I expected ever to be sitting in my entire <laughs> life. And certainly not in a moment like that. Yeah. Um, in fact, I saw some of my elders from a community where I used to serve and I, mm. I just wanted to go and sit with them, but I had to mm. do my thing and follow <laughs> the right, protocol. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it, it ended up being uh, actually a very moving moment because I was sitting with the, the Cardinal Secretary of State, uh, mm. Cardinal mm. Paroline, uh, who was obviously observing everything like a hawk, like sure. how's this going? What you know? And the first, when when the Holy Father said, um, "Please hear me and understand me unequivocally," I apologize. Mm. The the first time, because three times he said it mm-hmm. during that speech, yeah, uh, in one way or another, uh, uh, an explicit and clear apology. Everyone started to clap. <clears throat> And at the sound of that clapping, I just, it was very overwhelming for me. I I burst into tears Mm. because I was sick to my stomach waiting to see what would happen. I didn't know how this was going to go. Mm -hmm. And to hear Mm -hmm. that applause, um, it hit me very hard. Mm -hmm. And then um, to see the Cardinal Secretary of State it turned and looked at me, and I thought, oh, 
this is not in that moment. my finest moment. Um, but he just, he nodded his head mm. and sort of like, okay, like good. Yeah. Um, I think this, I think we got our, what we hoped to convey across. Great. Uh, and so I, I managed to pull myself together and <laughs> until Chief Wilton Little Child oh, yeah. came to the, the the drumming and the singing. And he is a very frail and now crippled man mm. who walked across halfway across the arbor, up the stairs onto the stage to put that headdress on Pope Francis. Um, again, I, of course, I'd lost it again at that <laughs> moment. And, um, I know that it was not well received by all, and it infuriated some, which as to your point, Aaron, it, everyone is in a different place. Reconciliation is an individually experienced journey. Mm -hmm. But I know for some, that moment was um, something they'd waited their whole life to see. Yeah. And so um, I think that though everybody does have to look within themselves to find the way in which they are being invited into uh, this experience of reconciliation it can't be called into question mm -hmm. whether or not this is something christ wants for his people and christ wants for his church mm -hmm. uh, and so if we can all be in our own way committed to that then we can have a future of hope hmm. yeah that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> I feel like, so like we're all people listening oh. who can't see us. We're like all a mess, right? Now. Like, <laughs> the three of us are crying. I mean, listen, I cry. You're not even the cardinal secretary of state. I don't know. Sorry, I thought it might have just been him that thought this out. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, uh, no, this is good. Father, if there are, because I love that you leave it at that, that, that each person that this is what Christ wants. Like he does desire reconciliation um, among peoples, like regardless of whether the issue is, you know, with indigenous Catholic relationship, like reconciliation is something that's of the Lord, you know? Um, and that we all have a responsibility to participate in that somehow. Um, and that it's not going to be uniform about what that participation looks like. So are, if there are things like, how would you, like if somebody's listening to this and they feel moved or convicted or really, um, realizing that that they have a part in this too and they're not sure kind of how to go about things um where would you suggest that they kind of check in with in terms of in terms of things they might be able to to do or to get involved in or to learn more uh, i believe it was one of the commissioners of the truth and reconciliation commission who said this uh, but i love the saying education got us into this mess and mm. education will get us out of it mm. uh, and so I always tell people to educate yourself. Mm. Now, I caution people against indiscriminately looking for information about the residential mm -hmm. school system. Yep. There is not much to be gained 
by understanding the shortcomings uh, all, all the way up to absolutely atrocious abuses that characterize that part of our history. So don't think you're doing the cause of reconciliation much help by limiting your education to exposing yourself to anything you can find about the legacy of the residential school system. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, educate yourself on the people who were there mm. and learn about Indigenous cultures. Take part in anything you can ever go to uh, where Indigenous culture is on display, uh, either because they welcome you into their uh, their land. Uh, I know, at least here in Calgary, we're surrounded by reserves. Mm -hmm. And they have some pretty daunting-looking signs that remind <laughs> you that this is private land and all this stuff. But <laughs> they also advertise their powwows and mm -hmm. their rodeos and different celebrations that they have during the year. Go and take part in it. Mm -hmm. Be vulnerable. Be mm. that white person or that <laughs> non-Indigenous person who yeah. sticks out like a sore thumb. And they'll laugh at you and have fun <laughs> at your expense and be so honored that you showed any interest in coming. Mm. And you will have a good experience. I, I just feel very confident in, mm. in telling people that. Yeah. Um, go to exhibits that are put on in different uh, venues. Uh, I keep thinking of this one in Edmonton called the Indigenous People's Experience that I, uh, there's been a ton of work done to put that together that uh, gives people a, a, that opportunity to walk through and see how did these people live for centuries mm -hmm. in this land and at that moment of, of contact with Europeans at different times for the different uh, groups of the First Nations, how did they navigate that? Mm -hmm. That is an incredibly fascinating history. Mm -hmm. uh, and as Catholics, to not live in perpetual shame mm -hmm. that Catholicism ever dared to set foot here. Mm -hmm. Our Lord in the Great Commission commanded his disciples to go forth and make disciples of all nations. And that includes our First Nations people. They also deserve to hear the gospel. And so we should not regret or apologize that the gospel was brought to these lands. Mm. And we must not forget that for 200 years, there were basically harmonious and complementary mm. relationships between Indigenous people and early Christian Catholic missionaries. Mm -hmm. Things went awry in a terribly unfortunate way, in an, uh, in an avoidable way. But mm. our entire history is not wrapped up in the Indian residential school system's legacy. Right. Uh, and so we should educate ourselves on that too. Mm. So as to rid ourselves of the shame that does not belong in mm. the life of a Christian seeking reconciliation. Shame right. is a huge obstacle to that. Mm. And so... Uh, we need to rise above that too. And just love, love because mm -hmm. this person in front of you is another person, mm -hmm. but because they're an indigenous person. Right. Love because 
This is a person made in the image and likeness of God in front mm -hmm. of you. And if we could just learn to live like that, we would be doing what advances the kingdom of God on earth. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. What an appropriate thing on the, we're recording this on the feast of John Paul II, whose personalism was like all about that. Like everything is the person in front of you can't be reduced, replaced, traded in, um, diminished in any way. And that's a, that's a beautiful model for us to, to follow. I know, I feel like we could talk about this for 800 years and it's been mostly like Nicole and Rachel haven't even really said anything. Um, yeah, no, but I'm still going to no. share. I know we were going to, we were like discerning because usually we have a God wink at the end. So we're like, should we, it's a heavy topic. We might, but I'm going to share this because I forgot about this and it's totally appropriate. So my parents actually met in, um, in Lynn Lake, Manitoba. So my dad was RCMP and he was stationed up there. And my mom is, they're both originally from Ottawa. My mom um, graduated nursing and then did some Northern nursing in the lake. So they both met in Northern BC of all places, um, got married. And, but when I was growing up, my mom used to say once in a while, she would be like, um, like, you know, when you bug your mom on the phone and she, she doesn't want to come off the phone. So she's like, awas. So she would be like, awas. And then she would be like, or like, just go out, like just a minute, you know? Um, or Astam, which is come come here. No idea that she was speaking Cree until I was like sixteen. They're Cree <laughs> words, right? Yeah, like that's right. I had I had I thought she just made them up, and then she was like, "No, it's Cree. It's like Tawate because she Tawate is open your mouth. She was a nurse, so she said that like right. all times a day. Uh, anyway, so I was like. Yeah, so I just thought that that was that's that, so cool. that that was like oh yeah, that's great. I know five words increase, so that's a good start to learn some more. You know. <laughs> well, I love that you brought that up. I can I can say with great pride, I never heard my cookum say awas to me. She never kicked me away. Custom <laughs> many times. Okay. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Oh, God yes. bless her. I'm just so, I feel like I met her father. You, you, you described her so well. I feel yeah. like she's, yeah. I can't wait to, to actually meet her, you know, other side of heaven, but yeah. Well, in heaven, not on the other side of heaven. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the side of this life. That's right. On the other side of this life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, all right. I think that's, um, we're just so grateful that you joined us. Yes. Father, is there anything else you, you want to share um, in terms of any last words or last words? That sounds like you're going to your death. <laughs> well, I might be, who knows? Well, maybe, who knows? I don't know what I'm going to, but uh, no, I just want to thank you for your interest in this, mm -hmm. uh, for, for facilitating this conversation and uh, that, yeah, I hope it is a blessing to mm -hmm. your listeners oh, yeah. and uh, that we can be people of reconciliation together. Beautiful. Yeah. And with that, maybe we can ask you for a blessing for mm -hmm. us and for the listeners. I will. You know, I'll pray over you the same way Kokum always used to pray over us uh, mm -hmm. every Beautiful. night before bed. Okay. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and fill you with his peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh man. Amen. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Yeah, oh, thank you. Awesome. God bless you, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Okay, bye bye. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us for this episode of In the Thicket. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday with more stories and honest conversations about life when the going gets rough and the hope and humor amidst it all. We'd love for you to join our community on Instagram and Facebook at In the Thicket Podcast. While you're there, let us know how we can pray for you. God bless and see you next week.